to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Fight less, feel appreciated, and have a deeper connection with your spouse. And now your hosts, Shachar Erez and Ziv Raviv. Hello and welcome to the Generous Marriage Podcast. Hi, I'm Ziv Raviv. And I'm Shachar Erez. And today we have a very special guest, and that is Jordan Gray from Vancouver, Canada. Jordan Gray has been a prolific author on the topic of relationship, uh, coaching, uh, uh, relationship, sex, intimacy, and his uh, relationship uh, coaching service and website and blog have blown both my mind and Shachar's mind when we've started to look at it. And it's that, that jordangrayconsulting.com. You really want to check this out, but here, listen to Jordan Gray yourself and understand uh, how deep his knowledge is in uh, all things relationships. Hello, Jordan. Hello, Shachar and Ziv. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Thank you yeah. so much for taking the time. Hi. So um, today we, we, we live in a very strange world where it seems like the expectations from both men and women in a relationship has been only growing and growing. Um, what do you think about that? Yeah, I think it's absolutely true. Uh, I see it as, you know, we've really escalated up the Maslow's hierarchy of needs and what we generally expect from each other in intimate relationships, you know, whereas hundreds of years ago, it was really just the, the baseline kind of transactional, you know, food, water, shelter. And then slowly, you know, through the love revolution and the, yeah, you know, romanticism really taking hold uh, in Western society, then people started to move into, okay, it's actually also about love and connection, kind of middle tier. And now we're moving into all the realms, including self-actualization, that we not just expect our partner to, you know, lend a kind ear and help us fulfill our sexual needs, but also inspire us and help us become our best selves. And while that is absolutely beautiful in many ways, it's also a lot of pressure to put on any one person. So it's, yeah, definitely pros and cons. Yeah, totally. And also the length of relationship has grown so much. You know, we just live to older age, so it's much more challenging. Yeah, the fact that people can have 70-plus-year marriages was absolutely unheard of, yeah. you know, several generations ago. Yeah. So where do you consider uh, sexual relationship sex uh, in the hierarchy of needs? In the hierarchy, as in mm-hmm. how much do they matter compared to all the other things? I mean, it's... As always, it's going to be an individualized situation for some people, you know, for a couple that really want a deep friendship-based companionship and both partners have a relatively low libido, it can be an important factor, but it might be, you know, a mutually agreed upon 3% of it mattering. And for others, that can be, you know, priority number one of like, okay, this is more than half of the reason that I want to be in a long-term relationship is to really deepen and sexually explore, you know, in my relationship to myself and my own body and into the relationship with my partner. So yeah, that's going to vary on a case-by-case basis. But I think that with all of the added pressures of us expecting, you know, all of the tears to be met by one another, along with 
you know, endless distraction and cell phones vying for your attention, it's never been harder to, I think, cultivate a really true narrow focus on, okay, this matters to us. We can say it till we're blue in the face, but really making this a lived priority is a different situation altogether. Yeah. 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 You know, I, I, I read your blog post about growing uh, your ma- masculine edge. And the first thing you mentioned there is presence, right? So what is presence? To describe presence. Presence is the quality of someone's attention. So how much can you really feel them being with you in a moment that you want them to be with you? If you are constantly split and divided and distracted, and you know, it's almost the way like we're, we're speaking more to men in this moment, because I feel that you know, women tend to, Alison Armstrong, as you guys are both aware of her work, yeah, she talks about women having more diffuse awareness. So they can really focus on an environment, you know, equally, which to my very masculine energy oriented brain is just wildly incomprehensible. I can't imagine what that would be like. You know, the male brain is much more laser beam, single focused. And so I think men especially can kind of energetically just castrate themselves, make themselves so much more ineffective in their lives by tolerating the distractions that they can leave in their life. And that could be, you know, diffusing their sexual energy by looking at pornography or masturbating to pornography a lot while in a committed marriage. Like you have a certain amount of sexual energy, sexual bandwidth that can go anywhere and it's your choice how much you're going to pour that into your partner, into your relationship, or spread it into you know, mental fantasy or into uh, masturbating to pornography several times a week or several times a day. Like there's, just, there's so many ways that we can split off that can harm, or if we rescind and block off those things, reclaim our presence. And I think women especially are just so plugged into it. The difference between being on a date, you know, whether it's a first date or you're 20 years deep in your marriage and you're out with your spouse, the difference between a date where one of you or both of you are intermittently looking at your phones every six minutes versus your phones aren't even with you, you know, maybe you have a babysitter and you have to have your phone on you, but at least it's in your pocket or not visible on the table, like really just being there and given the quality of your attention to the person of this is the only thing in the world that matters to me right now, I'm with you and only you, here we are. That's, you know, presence is the free attention that you bring to your partner, to any moment, to any intention in your life. You also talk about the topic of dating in your book, 50 Powerful Data Ideas. And um, tell us a little bit about how you see the importance of dates. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, a quality date really is just, you know, just like there's a whole range of what sex can be like. It can be a really superficial, you know, barely connected little genital sneeze that doesn't really connect you to yourself or your partner that deeply. Or it can be a beautiful act of worship where you're both completely with each other. I think a date is also microcosm of that same thing. You can go to a thing where you're just mutually distracted and spend five hours physically next to each other while not really connecting at all. Or it can be like going to church or going to synagogue for your relationship. Like how much are you really pouring into 
this shared garden of your relationship while you're on those dates. And that's really, I'd say the biggest through line of my work, glad you brought up that book in particular, is really just bringing intentionality to relationships. Like instead of just coasting through life and spreading your energy everywhere without thought, like how do you really show up effectively? And, and, and I noticed you work a lot with high achievers. Yeah. There's a tension between uh, achieving a lot in your career and having a good relationship. What are some challenges, some tips? How, how can people who are really into their mission in life and really want to achieve a lot can also be good partners, good lovers? Yes, absolutely. It's a really great point to bring up that I would reframe it slightly as I'd say it's almost more accurate to say there's either a perceived split or just a lived out split. Like the way that most high achievers are relating to their relationships is just ineffective and a somewhat broken model because there is this sense for people that might not have done as much work on themselves or hadn't read as many books or gone to as many therapists who can have this perception of, you know, time with my wife equals lost revenue in my business. It's this false dichotomy of, well, I have a total number of units of energy that I can deploy in my life somewhere. And if I'm investing in love, then I'm not investing in the bottom line of my business or career path or whatever the setup looks like for the person. And my worldview could not be more the opposite. That I think that, you know, if sexual energy and creative energy are the exact same thing, by pouring energy into the relationship, it's like this trampoline or this springboard that absolutely makes you more effective in your career, in your business, in your ability to generate revenue. Because, you know, set aside the depth and potency of women's intuition. And if you're in a, you know, a high quality, thriving relationship with your spouse and in talking about your career one day over dinner, she gives you one key insight that saves you from years of going down the wrong path because she sees something that you don't. Like even with that aside, just having the sense of my relationship is in a phenomenal place. You know, my home life is really good and really nourishing because I've put energy into it. The amount of mental bandwidth that that saves you from compared to If the opposite is true and your marriage is falling apart and your relationship is, you know, just like toxic and frustrating and you're resentful of each other, like how much that just decimates your ability to focus and your energy levels, you know, that will tank a career or a business opportunity or taking on another client, et cetera, faster than anything. So to me, it is the highest leverage point for men's growth and especially guys that are high achievers in their business like it absolutely is imperative that you don't really see this as a thing to like tolerate and maybe put some energy into sometimes no no this is the force multiplier that feeds everything else uh, yeah we, we can't agree more but do you find that your clients uh, get it i think they get it when they see it clearly laid out in front of them i think it's similar to you know someone can be a smoker for 20 plus years. And when someone really, you know, helps them get clarity on like, listen, here's what it looks like with smoking. Here's what it looks like without. And just like really putting the benefits, like, well, some people still ignore it, of course, but well, a good percentage go, you know what? Maybe I am done ignoring my health. Maybe I am done ignoring my spouse, my relationship. Generally the, yeah, the types of clients that come to work with me are, you know, they're still 
largely operating from the I'm resistant to really pouring energy into my relationship, but they're at least on the precipice of willingness where they're like, you know what? What I've been doing has not been working. I've had enough pain in the other way. And so I'm ready to try something different. Mm. And I believe because I'm coming to a professional relationship coach, the something different might be having a better marriage will actually help me. And it won't make me less effective as a, as a man. It'll make me more effective. I, I love this discussion. And, and uh, it's not just that the relationship is so important, like just even maintaining your own body and, and owning your own body and working on your fitness. And, and th- that, again, like is a part of the mindset that helps you be aware of that the details matter. Uh, but I find the relationship this piece just brings the best ROI on your business from a business standpoint and also from, from a human being standpoint. But I have to ask you about uh, sex again. Um, because those high achievers, they're very busy, especially these days where, you know, people sometimes are forced to work from home due to like when we're uh, recording this, the COVID-19 lockdowns are going in and out in certain locations. And so when you are working at home and you're, you're working at home and your kids are at home and, and, and it's a little bit harder to just have sex What's your opinion about um, date, love dates? Love dates as in like extended, like sex-focused dates? Yeah, like scheduling time for sex uh, specifically. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that there is huge value in that. I think that people who've never done it can hear it and, you know, kind of scoff or think less of it as if like, oh, you know, quality sex is only ever spontaneous and there's no magic if you've both agreed upon it ahead of time. And to me, that's just such a lazy, false excuse because, oh, you know, do you never have a good workout when you book a session with your personal trainer just because it's in your calendar? It makes it inherently bad. No, like that's absolutely bullshit. Uh, or just any example of like, you know, going to a yoga class or doing, yeah, like things being scheduled doesn't make them less. If anything, it's, you know, a direct nod to your relationship and you both saying this is enough of a priority that we are absolutely willing to schedule this and whether we need to get a babysitter for these hours or you know just like really carve out the sacred time to make this the priority that it is to me it's yeah it's not unromantic or somehow less than to me it's the height of romance to go no this is a priority and we're going to make it a priority yeah it's part of being intentional Exactly. about your marriage about your relationship about your sex life yeah yeah what are some other uh, things that help a guy be more sexy you know we talked about presence I think that's a big one right mm-hmm. women dig men who are present yeah. what are some other aspects that are uh, helpful in a, in a long-term relationship I mean I think something important to acknowledge is that I see long-term sustainable, you know, passionate, nourishing, intimate relationship as a constant dance between independence and intimacy. And so some, and this is, it's such an individual thing that, you know, depending on where the listener is in their current, you know, point on the trajectory or what they're more prone to, you know, some guys really need to hear the message of, oh, are you kind of a lone wolf workaholic who's always focused on, your career and isn't that present at home, you need more time in intimacy. You should be scheduling dates. You should, you know, your new key performance indicator should be, you know, every at least 
three weeks or at least once a month, like I will take the lead and plan a multi-hour, just me and my partner date. Uh, conversely, if another man is you know overly involved in always wanting to process with his partner and you know being a bit like you know codependent or needy or just like hyper attached, he might need to be more in his life and like go to the gym sometimes or go for a walk, maintain friendships with your guy friends, put more energy into your, into your career. You know, where on that spectrum of togetherness and autonomy are you and how do you calibrate to that? And it's it's a never-ending dance. There is no final point where you find the exact line in the continuum and then all your work is done as much as the masculine, you know, wants to bring things to a conclusion. It's like, no, it's always going to need calibration of like a little bit more this, a little bit more that. It's, you know, an ever-evolving pot of stew that you're always adding to and changing over time. Beautiful. Um, so what type of uh, things make you passionate uh, these days? Like what, what are you excited about in your uh, consulting business? Great question. Yeah, I'd say that the major themes that are most front of mind for me are I care a lot about helping men become more emotionally literate, just making friends with more of their emotions. Um, a kind of secondary symptom to that is I'm passionate about chipping away at the male suicide rate, which in most developed countries is considerably higher than, you know, not that it's a competition, but just, you know, the suicide rate in general, but helping people, you know, make friends with sadness, hurt, frustration, anger. I think it's very easy. It's very kind of persistent, loud societal messages around like, you know, these 25% of your emotions are okay and allowed and you have permission to feel them. But most of them, you know, either don't have them or don't tell anyone that you're having them. Yeah. So that just helping people, you know, move away from stuck emotions and repression and into more aliveness and totality in how they show up in their lives. What else I've been caring about a lot lately? Yeah, just really getting people away from the lone wolf, workaholic, quadrupling down on business to the exclusion of everything else in my life and, you know, getting to a more balanced approach. Again, not as a a final stopover of you know flawless balance but if you've underinvested in relationships or in your internal relationship then how do you balance the scales and you know i think that it's it's good to remember that in business to succeed we could quadruple down on our strengths but in intimacy in our you know in a marriage in a long term relationship to succeed you double down on your quote unquote weaknesses like what are the points that are less developed You know a long term relationship is not dissimilar to a long term therapist relationship. like what are the things that need more attention and more energy because you know it's like being a speedboat who wants to be going along, but if you have three or four anchors that are dragging along the ocean floor, you're not going to go that far if these unaddressed things are just you know owning your subconscious mind and your decisions without your conscious awareness. Can you tell us more about uh, the emotions of men and in particular how to deal with uh, men anger? you say male anger? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean it's it's a nuanced conversation that I'd want you know hours to extrapolate into, but I think it's for some high leverage uh, more potent themes, I think it's good to acknowledge that in the same breath, A lot of modern society has kind of made male anger both you know the cause of all destruction and like a lot of bad in the world and 
<laughs> That's funny. I just perfectly timed <laughs> that a dog starts barking in the back. Yeah, funny. I have dogs here they're barking and Ziv, I don't know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, so has simultaneously made male anger, you know, somewhat of a scapegoat of here's a core theme that results in a lot of pain and anguish in the world. And simultaneously, it's also, you know, almost one of the very small handful of emotions that men are conditioned from a young age to believe that they're allowed to have. Like, you're allowed to be stoic and calm and neutral. You're also allowed to be angry and aggressive and territorial. And, you know, in the schoolyard, like, the boys who were most willing to fight and, you know, be somewhat of a schoolyard bully, like, that wasn't as stamped out at all compared to the kid who cried. Like, if, if a little boy, you know, six-year-old, seven-year-old kid in elementary school cried, that was infinitely more teased and made wrong than a guy who was angry and tried to pick a fight with another classmate. And so, yeah, there's really a challenging relationship to, to emotion for most men. And that can be compounded by, you know, a very common, you know, say you had a, a boomer father figure who had a scary relationship to his anger, scary from, you know, your, from the child's perspective of, well, my dad had explosive anger and that terrified me as a child. And so I don't want to be anything like that. So anger is wrong. So I'm not allowed anger. I'm going to repress that. And that's a huge, yeah, complicating factor in what creates, you know, the quote unquote nice guys is just someone who has made their anger wrong subconsciously, you know, years or decades previously. And, you know, anger is a precursor to boundaries. Anger is a healthy emotion, just like every emotion is a healthy emotion, you know, depending on how we're using it and how much it's sticking around. Yeah. So I think just acknowledging what your core kind of relationship is with, and not just anger to access, whether it's anger or sadness or hurt or grief, you know, anything that is more, you know, could be societally labeled as like a quote unquote negative emotion. What are your earliest memories to do with that? What are your beliefs and thoughts around that emotion today? And in order to functionalize that and bring that back into your life or back into your relationship, you know, how do you acknowledge it, slowly make friends with it and just acknowledge that this is okay and this is healthy. And if this is a thing that exists in my body, that's allowed. And the only thing that has ever been wrong about it is my belief that it is inherently wrong in any way. Wow, I love this answer. So nuanced and wide, like so many times we think that anger is bad. And I love how positive you are about it. Anger is not just bad. Violence is bad. But exactly. anger, do anger doesn't have to be violent. Exactly. Irresponsible anger is bad. You know, having a bad day at the office and then leaving the office and punching a stranger in the face, that's an irresponsible use of anger. Like that's not being responsible for, these are my emotions, they're mine to deal with and mine to process. You know, yeah, I mean, it would be, a parent would be hard pressed to say that, you know, righteous anger is incorrect if they saw one of their children being physically attacked. Is anger wrong in those moments? Of course not. Like, Yeah, anger absolutely plays a role in a healthy person's body and life when used yeah. responsibly, of course. Beautiful. I love, I love the term irresponsible and responsible use of it here. Yeah. Uh, so we're, we're almost out of time, but uh, I want to 
dig just a little bit deeper into this anger thing, uh, because sometimes we men have anger and we are responsible to it, but it becomes something that uh, lingers with us for a long time, maybe maybe a week, maybe two weeks, maybe three days, where we just everything makes us upset because we had an uh, unregre- like a regrettable uh, incident with uh, uh, of a fight with our spouse uh, or something like that. Maybe we were disrespected or, or maybe something else happened that triggered that anger. But what do you do to collect yourself back and maintain your responsibility for processing your emotions? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, in those instances, you just need tools. Like I think that emotional processing tools are things that I just a thousand percent should believe should be taught to children, you know, somewhere between the ages of, you know, six to 18 or multiple points, just like, you know, sex ed should ideally be taught in multiple styles across multiple ages. Yeah. I think that giving young people and also adult people tools to be able to process their anger and, you know, responsibly be with it. There, I can rattle off a couple of quick examples if we have time. Yes, please. Great. So, yeah, I think that first relating to it, you know what? Yeah, people can go one of these two routes based off of how they think. But I think generally starting off relating to it with your mind. So whether that is getting out a pen and paper and journaling, okay, a thing happened, you know, hours ago, days ago, weeks ago, I can still feel it kind of simmering in my body, just taking out a journal and writing out, okay, what am I pissed about? What am I still angry about? Something that I'm currently angry about is fill in the blank 10 times and just like let it all hang out. And this isn't like an angry letter that you're going to send to a person because that wouldn't necessarily be responsible. It's just for you to, you know, there's a boiling pot, you're taking off the lid to just let the steam out. And so writing it down and just naming it clearly and directly, I think is a really valuable way into, oh, this is the root or here's the seed of why this is still in my body. And as you're writing these things down, you're not making them wrong. You're not judging them. You're having compassion for them. You're going, okay, this makes sense. Mm -hmm. I'm more in touch with why this is still in my body. And yeah, this is just, this is understandable. The second layer that I'd recommend, and again, some people might want to do it in reverse order. They might want to do these ones first and that's totally fine. There's no perfect order. The second layer are more embodied practices. So any emotion, you know, energy in motion can get trapped in your body. If at some point your mind makes it wrong or tries to go, oh, I'm not allowed this emotion right now. So, you know, shut it off. I'll, I'll deal with you later or I'll just repress you and not deal with you at all, which again is societally reinforced. But, you know, doing something like going into your bedroom, closing the door and taking a pillow, you know, when it's just you in the room and especially no pets or children within earshot or who can't see it because they don't, they can't relate to these things as an adult can. So really just having to be your own solo sacred practice, taking a pillow and just beating the shit out of your bed or taking the pillow and, you know, wrapping it around the front of your face, putting another pillow in the back of your head and just screaming into the pillow, like just moving energy with your body is absolutely beneficial to, especially when there's that sense of like, there's this stuck emotion that isn't about my current present moment. 
it is about a thing, you know, a conversation or a fight or I was disrespected at work or whatever. If it's like just residue that you know just hasn't had the chance to move, physically moving it with your voice or with your body in your own solo practice is so beneficial. And I think a lot of men and women in the world would hugely benefit from doing that. Yeah, in a sense, what I hear you talking about is how we have a feeling, we experience a feeling, we have another voice that makes this feeling wrong, which is actually shaming, it's self-shaming, we're shaming ourselves for having this uh, feeling, and, and you're uh, offering here two ways to release the shame, just by writing it down and naming it, brings it out to the light, and shame can't handle the light. You know, shame is something we hide and when we bring it out, it, it goes away. And also just the, also the pillow exercise makes it, okay, I'm angry. I'm using it responsibly on a pillow, not on a, another person. Exactly. Sweet. Um, this, this is uh, the end uh, of the show and uh, you've been uh, so kind and generous with us, Jordan. Jordan Gray, um, we've been uh, talking in advance that uh, we will share some of your writings within uh, the show notes of this sh- of this episode so guys uh, you can definitely go to jordangrayconsulting.com and see the amazing yummy educational important blog and uh, and articles and online courses that Jordan produces uh, they are so significant you should just stop the car now and or, or stop exercising on the treadmill go to back to your phone and uh, check them check them out and in addition you're more than welcome to go to uh, generousmanage.com where we will share with you this uh, generous gift by jordan gray jordan thank you 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 are so generous you know i love j- just going through your website uh, so much generosity there and so much generosity here with us today i feel like i met a brother Thank you guys. Yeah, I really appreciate you having me on. This has been super fun. And yeah, I knew from the first emails, like this is going to be a good one. And yeah, I really enjoyed this. We should do it again sometime. Uh, and we could we could have discussed so many other topics uh, uh, and, and maybe one day we will. So thank you again, Jordan Gray. And thank you guys for listening for it's another episode of the Generous Marriage Podcast. Bye-bye. See you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.